You know, here at Whitefields, another thing I wanted to say is that, you know, we do consider ourselves a missional church, but an important part of that is that we want to be missional everywhere. I had one uh, missionary friend who told me one time, he said, you know, we got to change our thinking about the world. He said, you know, when God looks at the world, he doesn't see national borders. He doesn't even see borders between people groups. You know what God sees is individuals whom he loved and whom he came for and died for. And so our goal as a church, even as Christian people, should be and is to be missional wherever we are. We want to be missional around the world, but we also want to be missional here in Longmont. And so I just want to let you know that coming up in September, us as Whitefields, we're going to be participating in an event called Harvest America. And this is something that's done by Greg Laurie and his evangelistic association. And uh, we're going to be heading that up here in town. So we, uh, we hope that you all be involved with that. And we hope to see God work through that as well. So if you have your Bibles, let's uh, open with me, please, to Ephesians chapter 3. And we're going to continue our study through Ephesians that we've been doing for the last uh, month or so. So if you would read with me from Ephesians chapter 3, from verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, or when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the mystery of the gospel. We thank you, Lord, that it has been revealed to us, the plan of God for the ages, the plan of God for our lives, Lord. It's been revealed to us in the gospel. And today, as we behold the gospel, as we consider the identity that you give us in Jesus Christ, Lord, I pray that you would help us to adjust our thinking. Lord, help us to bring our thinking in line with your thinking, that we might be renewed in our minds. And we pray that in Jesus' name, amen. In many ways, it is true that the attitude you have determines the world that you will live in. Think about that and I'll say it again. In many ways, it's true that the attitude you have determines the world that you will live in. Have you ever noticed that two people can have the exact same experience? They can experience the exact same thing, but yet they come away from it with completely different conclusions. The one person, they'll experience the exact same thing, but one person will come away and say, that was awesome. Another person having the same experience might come away and say, that was terrible. Now, why is that? Well, I'll tell you what part of it is. It's an issue of attitude. Uh, Because your attitude, the attitude you have about life and the circumstances you face, the attitudes you have about these things very much determine what your experience of those things will be. In order for us to live that rich, abundant life in Christ that God desires for us to live, a very important thing that we must do is we must change the way that we think. We need to change the way that we think. And this is one of the major themes of the book of Ephesians. I call it attitude adjustment. That's the title of our teaching today. Attitude adjustment, which means changing the way you think about things and bringing your thinking into harmony, into, you know, in line with God's word and God's will. And here's why. Think about this. 
You cannot change your heart. You know that? You cannot change your heart. Only God can change your heart. And you know what else? Many times you cannot choose how you feel. And you can oftentimes not even change how you feel. Sometimes we have feelings and we know that they're wrong feelings, but the fact is that's how we feel. Have you ever felt that way? Like, I know this is a wrong feeling, but this is how I feel. I can't just force my feelings to change. So we can't change our hearts. Only God can change our hearts. And we can't choose our feelings. But here's one thing that we can do. We can change the way that we think. We can make a choice to change the way that we think. And here's how it works. If you will change the way that you think, then God will do that work that only he can do of changing your heart. And once your heart is changed, well then guess what? Your feelings will follow. Your feelings will change as well. I remember talking to a friend of mine many years ago. And he struggled with absolutely just despising another person. We were all on staff at a church, Rosemary mentioned in Debretson. Well, this one man, he just despised this other guy, just hated his guts, you know. Just, uh, he would have been happy to see him be hit by a bus. But he had good reasons also for not liking this person. This person had been rude to him. He had treated him badly. But yet my friend told me that he knew you know, that as a Christian, it was wrong for him to feel the way that he felt towards this other person. It was wrong for him to have these feelings of, of hatred and, and bitterness towards this person. But the fact was, he just couldn't stop feeling the way that he felt. He couldn't just tell himself, like a switch, stop feeling that way and then it's all fixed, right? But one day, here's what my friend did. He made a choice. He made a choice to change his mind, bring his thinking in line with God's word and God's will. And then rather than waiting for that person to change, that other person, right? In order, instead of waiting for that person to do the right thing, he decided that as a Christian, because God had loved him, because Jesus had come for him and reached out to him when he was not lovable, that therefore he should be the one to initiate with this other person and pray for him and reach out to him with love and acts of kindness, right? And so as he changed his way of thinking, God changed his heart towards this person. And as God changed his heart, whereas in the past his feelings towards that person were anger and resentment, he began to actually feel a genuine sense of love and charity, just really uh, affection towards that other person. Now do you see how that happened, right? This friend of mine, he couldn't change his heart. He couldn't choose his feelings towards that person. But what he could do one thing, and that was this, he could change his way of thinking. He could choose to bring his thinking, his attitude, in accordance or into accordance with God's word and God's will. That was a conscious choice that he could make and that he did make. And as he made that choice, God came in and did that work that only God could do of changing his heart. And as his heart changed, his feelings followed. And this is one of the great messages of the book of Ephesians, that we need an attitude adjustment. We need to examine our attitudes, and we need to have an attitude adjustment. And what that means is bringing our thinking, our attitudes, into accordance, into line with God's word and God's will. Because you can't change your heart. And you can't choose your feelings, but you can change your mind. 
And if you change your mind, then God will change your heart and your feelings will follow. But let me add this. You might say, well, can't God just change your heart? Well, here's the thing. Many times, I would even say most times, God will not change your heart until you have taken the step of changing your thinking. See, it's not that God can't change your heart otherwise. This is just how God has chosen to work by partnering with us through faith. He asks us to take steps of faith, which are ultimately steps of obedience, right? Obedience is very much tied to faith. If you have faith in God, then you will obey, right? So he asks us to take these steps of faith and obedience. And once we take that first step, then God steps in and does a miracle. And that's how it works throughout the Bible. I'll give you some examples. Jesus feeds 5,000 people, right? He multiplies two fishes and five loaves into enough food to feed a multitude. But how does he do it? Does he just do it and then says, look, now there's enough food? No, he tells his disciples, take it and start splitting it up and start distributing it. In other words, they had to take that step of faith before God would step in and do that miracle that only he could do. Let me give you another example. In the Gospel of Mark, chapter 3, we read about a man with a withered hand, and it said that he had had this withered hand since he was born, right? His whole life, Jesus meets him in the temple, and, and he goes up to this man, and do you know what he says to him? He says to this man, stretch out your hand. Now think about this, right? Think about this man. What is he thinking when Jesus tells him, stretch out your hand? What is going through his mind? I can't help but think what's going through his mind. Stretch out my hand? Are you, are you kidding me? Right? Excuse me. Do you really think it's that simple? Do you re- is it that simplistic to you? I just stretch out my hand, right? Don't you think that if I could stretch out my hand that I would have done that years ago? Don't you think that if I wanted to stretch out my hand that I, I would have thought of that on my own? I don't need you to come here. And this is the only advice you give me. Stretch out my hand. Thanks a lot, right? I can't do that. Can't you see that I'm incapable of doing that? See, this man could have argued with Jesus. He had a a basis to argue with Jesus. He could have made excuses for why he was incapable of doing that which God had asked him to do, that which Jesus had told him to do. But that's not what he did. But how oftentimes is that you and me, right? How oftentimes do we do that? God says, do this and you will be better And we say, no, God, you don't understand. I can't do that. I'm incapable of doing what you're asking me to do. I've never done that before. That's too hard. I can't just make myself do that. But look at this man with the withered hand. He doesn't argue with Jesus. He he simply, as an act of faith, attempts to stretch out his hand. And as he takes that step of faith, or I guess we could call it a a stretch of faith, right? God heals his hand and God makes him able to do that which God asked him to do, right? As he made the attempt, God then came in and made him able to do that which he had asked him to do. And I believe the same is true of you and I. You can't change your heart, but you can change your mind. And if you change your mind, God will change your heart, but oftentimes God won't change your heart until you make the choice, that step of faith, to change your mind, to change your thinking, to bring your attitudes and your thinking in line with God's word and God's will.
So here in Ephesians, that's what we've been talking about. Changing the way that we think. Bringing our thoughts about ourselves, about other people, about God, about the world. Bringing everything into accordance with God's will. And I like to call it attitude adjustment. So here in this text, in Ephesians chapter 3, there are three important attitudes which God wants us to bring our thinking in line with. If you are a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ, then there's three things that you need to have as an attitude. Number one, you are in God's hands. Number two, you are a steward. And number three, you are a minister of the gospel. We see all these attitudes exemplified by Paul here in this text. So number one, you are in God's hands. Paul begins chapter three with these words. I Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus for your sakes, for the sake of you. At the time that Paul wrote this letter to the, to the Christians in the city of Ephesus, he was an actual prisoner, right? He's actually in prison in Rome. He is a prisoner of Rome. He is chained to a Roman guard 24 hours a day. They'd be switched out on eight-hour shifts. Obviously, this is greatly restrictive to Paul. Up until this point, Think about Paul's life. He's been an extremely active person. He's been a missionary. He's been a pastor, a church planter. He's traveled around the world preaching the gospel. He's been an evangelist and an apostle. He had a very effective and fruitful ministry. And now here is this man, this missionary, the evangelist, the apostle, and he's locked in a room all day, every day as a prisoner of Rome. He can't go anywhere. He's chained to these guards. He's restricted. A lot of people in this kind of situation would say, and we hear it all the time, right? Why is this happening to me? God, if you're really there, then why would you do this to me? God, if you really love me, then why would you allow this to happen to me? Why aren't you getting me out of here yet? Why am I still in here? I'm a prisoner of Rome. I'm chained to guards. And because of that, I can't do that which I'm good at. I, I can't fulfill my calling. I can't serve you, Lord. This is so bad, right? God, if you really love me, then why are you letting this happen to me? We hear it all the time. But here's the thing. That is not the attitude that Paul had. That is not his way of thinking about his circumstances. And here's why. Because Paul had brought his thinking in line with the word of God. And here's what the word of God says, that if you are in Christ, then this is who you are. You are in God's hands. For we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purposes. And that is why Paul says what he says here. Notice, he doesn't say, I'm a prisoner of Rome. What does he say? I am a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I am a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I'm not a prisoner of Rome. I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and I know that God has me here for a purpose. In other words, Paul did not view himself as a victim of his circumstances. He believed with his whole heart that as a child of God, he was in God's hands. The psalmist says this, he says in Psalm 31, he says, I trust in you, O Lord, and I say, you are my God. My times are in your hands. And I have to tell you that in my life, that has been one of the verses that, has, that I have found the most comfort in. This verse, uh, because when you have this attitude that your times are in God's hands, 
well, that changes your perspective a lot, right? It changes your perception of your circumstances and the things that are happening to you. This was the attitude that Paul had. That's why he could say, you know what? I am not a prisoner of Rome. I am a prisoner of Jesus Christ. He's the one who has ordained me to be locked in this room and he has me locked in here for a purpose. I'm here for the sake of the believers. So I'm, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to pick up a pen and I'm going to write to those believers about the gospel. And I'm going to pour out my heart and everything about the depth and the breadth of the love of Christ. I'm going to put it all out there for them. And you know what? I'm going to have an even more effective ministry by putting my words in writing than I was when I was able to be there in person. And you know what else he says? It's not me who's chained to these prison guards. These prison guards are chained to me. And I'm here on a mission. And if they don't like it, too bad. They're here for eight hours a day, every day. So you deal with it, right? I'm not chained to you. You're chained to me. And guess what? I'm here on a mission. I'm here for a purpose. And that's what Paul says down in verse 13. He says, I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Believing that simple truth, that you are in God's hands, that you are, com- that you are your times are in God's hands. I tell you what, look at Paul. That simple attitude, that simple knowledge, bringing his thinking in line with God's word in that area, it transformed his attitude about his circumstances. Rather than seeing himself as a victim, a prisoner of Rome, he sees himself as a prisoner of Christ, who has been placed there by God with a mission. So let me ask you, what about you? What are the circumstances that you find yourself in right now? Maybe you didn't choose them. Maybe you would have never chosen them. But here's the thing. Do you understand that your times are in God's hands? Do you know that? Your times are in God's hands. Do you believe that God is working all things for your good? Do you know that where you are right now, he has you there for a purpose? Paul wrote to the Philippians, and he said this in Philippians chapter 2. He said, let this mind be in you, which, is also, which was also in Christ. Some of your translations even put it this way. They say, let this attitude be in you, which was also in Christ. In other words, bring your thinking in line with God's thinking, with God's word. Adjust your attitude. Bring it into harmony with God's word and God's will. And here's one important way. Understand, your times are in God's hands. You are not a prisoner of your circumstances. You are a prisoner of Christ. You are placed in these circumstances today for a purpose. And we read, as we read in chapter 2, remember that great verse that he said that God has prepared good works beforehand that you should walk in them. So number two, the second attitude The first one is this, that you are in God's hands. But the second one here is this. In Christ, you are a steward. You are a steward. Paul says in verse 2, Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. Here's the second important attitude for us to have. You are a steward. You know what a steward is? A steward is someone who's been entrusted with the care of something which is not their own. Right? They, they have been entrusted with the care of something by that thing's owner. A steward is someone who's been entrusted with caring for someone else's resources and handling those resources with the expectation 
that they will deal with them according to the owner's desires. And this is a very important attitude for us as Christians to have, that we are stewards of God's resources. In Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. If you got your Bibles, you can check it out. If not, I'll tell you about it. Jesus tells a parable about stewardship. He says that a rich man went off to a faraway country and he left three men in charge of his finances. The one man took the money that he was entrusted with and he invested it and he doubled it. Another man took the money he was given and he also invested it and he caused it to increase. But a third man, he dug a hole in the ground and he hid the money that he was given. He hid it in the ground until the master returned so that he wouldn't lose it, so that it would be safe. And when the master returned, he met with the stewards and he asked them, what did you do with my resources that I left in your charge? And, and the first two stewards came forth, they showed what they had done, and, and this was the response that they got. Well done, good and faithful servant. Because you were faithful with little, you will be entrusted with more. But he was angry with that third man. He was angry with that man who had dug a hole and put the money in the hole. Because why? Because he had not been a good steward. Right? The attitude of stewardship is understanding that all of my resources, whatever I have, everything I have, it's not actually mine. It's all God's. In other words, if God has entrusted me with things that he has then I have an obligation to handle those things, to deal with those things according to his desires, according to his will and his plans. So because of that, my goal with my resources is not to gather and hoard and make sure I don't lose anything. But you know what my goal is? It's to make sure that those resources that he's entrusted me with, make sure that I use them according to his purposes, for his desires, in a way that's in accordance with his heart and what I know about his will. This attitude of stewardship, I really believe this is something that God wants us to have about all of our resources, that they're not truly ours that ultimately they belong to God and we are stewards of his things. We came into this world with nothing. We will leave with nothing. Temporarily, we have been given whatever we have by God. Therefore, my money, that's not really my money. That's God's money. And I can't say I'm just going to spend my money however I feel like it because it's mine. No, ultimately, I would have nothing if God hadn't given to me. So whatever money I do have, uh, ultimately it's God's money. I need to be a wise steward of his money that he's entrusted me with. I need to use it according to his desires and purposes for his goals and objectives. And when you begin to have that attitude about money, you handle it differently. My kids, do you know that? My kids, your kids, they're not mine ultimately. They belong to the Lord. And the Lord has entrusted them to me and I get the joy of raising them. But you know what? They've been entrusted to me for a time to raise them and love them and care for them. And someday I'm going to have to return them to God. And he wants me, as long as they're in my care, to raise them in his ways. And I get the pleasure of raising them. Ultimately, they're not mine. I need to raise them in the way that he would have me raise them. My car. You know, my car is not... Really, my car, it's the Lord's car. He just lets me use it. It's kind of like a company car, I figure, you know. I'm just a steward of it, right? It's, it, I need to use that car for his purposes. 
my house. I'm just a steward of that. It's another resource I have that God has given me and I want to use it for his glory. I want to use it for his purposes. And that's how I want to view it. And when you adjust your attitude and you realize that the things that you have ultimately are not yours, they've just been entrusted to you for a short time. You're a steward of those things for a purpose. And the last thing you should do is dig a hole and make sure you don't lose those things. What you're called to do as a steward is to use those things for God's purposes actively. And when you realize that about this idea of stewardship, it revolutionizes how you live, how you view those things that you do have, how you relate to your possessions. I don't want to be that third steward whose goal it was to not lose anything, right? I want to be like the other two good and faithful stewards who take the master's resources and use them in ways that further his goals and objectives. So who are you? Here's another answer. You are a steward. Paul understood that he was a steward and he had this attitude of stewardship in general. But here in Ephesians chapter 3, he is talking about a specific kind of stewardship that he's been given. He is a steward of God's grace. Right, the grace he has received, it's not just for his enjoyment personally. He understands that as a steward of grace, he's been given that grace so that he can share it, so that he can increase it. And he, he saw this, Paul saw this as his mission in life. He wrote to the Corinthians this same sentiment in 1 Corinthians 4, 1 and 2. He says, this is how people should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they would be found faithful. See, not only are you a steward of God's resources in general, but you are a steward of God's grace in particular. You are a minister of the gospel. That's why Paul says in verse 7, Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, although I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. In the Bible, this word mystery, as Jeff alluded to earlier, this word mystery, it refers to something which in past times was hidden but in these days has been revealed. And Paul says, I have been made a steward of the mysteries of God. I have been made a steward of the Bible. These are all ways that he, or, I'm sorry, steward of the gospel. These are all words that he uses to describe the gospel. The mystery of God, the grace of God. He's been given stewardship over these things, over the gospel. Because in Christ, what we have now is that the plan of God for the ages, the plan of God for individual people's lives, it has been revealed. The plan of salvation, the understanding of why the world is the way that it is, what God's plan is for redemption, how he's going to bring it all together and fix that which was broken by sin. It has been revealed in Christ, the full plan. 
And we who have come to know him, right, we are stewards of this knowledge. We've been given it not just for our own enjoyment, not just to tickle our own fancy, but we've been given it as stewards to spread it. We've been appointed ministers of the gospel. And, you know, that last week that we spent in Hungary, as everyone shared, it was invigorating. We were sharing the gospel all day, every day. And it was absolutely invigorating. It makes you feel alive. Tell you what, there's nothing that will strengthen your faith like talking to other people about your faith, right? You have to think through it. You have to articulate it. But here's the thing. You know what? You don't have to travel around the world to preach the gospel. You know that. You know that here in Colorado, you're surrounded every day by people who don't know Jesus, who are living in darkness regarding the mysteries of God that have been revealed in Jesus Christ. So I encourage you, have this attitude, have this mind in you. You are a minister of the gospel. You are a minister of the gospel. You are a steward of the mysteries of God in Christ. You are a steward of the grace of God that you might bring light to those who are in darkness. You've been given it not just for your own enjoyment, but to share it and to increase it. Jesus called us to go into all the world and be his witnesses, to preach the gospel so that whatever part of the world you might find yourself in next week, I encourage you, have this mind in you, have this attitude. You are a minister of the gospel. You are a steward of the mysteries of God in Christ. May we be found faithful. Amen? You can't change your heart. Only God can change your heart. And you can't choose your feelings. You know that. But you can change your mind. That's the thing that you can do. You can change your mind. And if you change your mind, then God will change your heart. And when your heart changes, your feelings will follow. So I encourage you today, as we look upon God's word let it give you an attitude adjustment. May, it, may you bring your thinking in line with God's word and God's will and may these attitudes be in you. That you are in God's hands. That you are a steward and that you are a minister of the gospel. Amen? Let's stand and pray. Lord, we thank you for the gospel of our salvation. We thank you for new life in you. We thank you, Lord, that you have given us a new name. Lord, thank you that we are more than the sum of our choices in the past. We're more than the sum of the actions that have been committed against us. Lord, thank you that in you we receive a new name, a new life, and a new identity. Thank you for the fullness of the gospel. Lord, may we walk in it. Lord, help us that our attitudes and our thinking would be brought in line with the gospel, that it would be in accordance with the gospel, in accordance with who you say we are, in accordance with what your word says and what your will is. And Lord, I pray for those of us here who are, who are like that man being told to stretch out our hand. Lord, would you help us not to make excuses? Lord, would you help us to, by faith, make that step and attempt to do that which you're asking us to do? Because when we do that, Lord, thank you that you come in and give us that strength and that ability that we lack. So Lord, this morning, thank you for who you are. And I pray for anybody here, Lord, who has not yet given their heart and their life over to you. May they do that this morning before leaving this place. In Jesus' name, amen.